0: Four, three, two, one. This is Breaking Through the Mayhem, the Sightly podcast series. Bringing marketing industry leaders together to discuss the ever-shifting media landscape. Learn about the ins and outs of real-time marketing, brand safety, influencers, data privacy, technology, and so much more. All from industry experts with real experience giving you the real answers. Now, let's break through the mayhem. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Breaking Through the Mayhem podcast. Today, we've got something truly special for you. We delve deep into the heart of innovation, leadership, and marketing. Today, I'm featuring Van Tran, who is a three-time marketing and operations executive with over 20 years of experience in customer experience strategy, marketing operations, and business transformation. She shepherds businesses and teams through complex marketing and operational transformation, enabling exponential growth. Welcome to the show,
1: Van Tran. Thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I, me too. Um, So what the listeners don't know is that you
0: and I are also friends outside of this, so I'm going to try to keep it as professional as possible, but I'm just so, so grateful that you are here with us today for Sightly's podcast. So to just introduce you a little bit to our audience, can you tell me a little bit about your professional and personal journey
1: as a MarTech and RevOps um, leader? Absolutely. Um, And this is one where I would say if I were to sum up my career, including the most recent API Rising efforts, um, I think about it as a career around the theme of human centricity. And a lot of times we think about marketing RevOps, etc., as being customer-centric in order for us to get their dollars. But I have seen this throughout my career is that there is a marketing operations component or a business operations component that is key to actually making the vision a reality. Like if you don't end up um, enabling your employees to deliver on the vision that you have you're not going to be able to reach that full potential of that vision and so i think about it in a lot of different facets not just from the strategy standpoint but what's our feasibility and ability to actually deliver on that from a technology process um, and operation standpoint that makes so much sense so what i'm really
0: hearing you say that is that is that. We've been talking as an industry a lot about being customer centric, but that for you as you summarize your professional journey in this space, it's really about human centricity. And that yes. human centricity is not just a marketing strategy, but it's actually good for business.
1: Absolutely. If if you aren't enabling your employees, you're you're never going to reach that full kind of revenue potential. It's it's not going to be possible. And you see this time and again, right? Vision not being able to um, become reality in so many ways. So let me just cover a little bit about um, how I got here. And I will say it took a little bit, right? (laughs) So we all have our journey, but I started out um, as a marketing manager for a museum and nonprofit. And in nonprofit, you wear every single hat. (laughs) I did um, kind of... press releases and PR, I created all the advertising, I did all the graphic design, I managed the website, and most importantly, I managed that um, development database. So making sure that you're mining that database, building relationships, communicating with donors, et cetera, in order for us to get donations so then the museum can continue operating and delivering amazing experiences for people. After that, I decided to kind of try my hand in the startup world and went to StubHub, where, by the way, many of my friends felt that I didn't deserve that role because all the guys wanted to work for StubHub, having sports tickets, etc. They were very, very jealous of my role there. Um, but and that it's not was not so much a startup anymore, huh? <laughs> no, and at that time, this was before eBay acquired StubHub. So that was very eye opening for me because they were so focused on the numbers. I mean, you have to show growth, right? In order for someone to want to acquire you. So that was an incredible and very rigorous marketing experience for me to really cut my teeth in terms of corporate America. Um, And all of the experiences associated with startup, I experienced there. So the whole culture, everything and then um, I ended up moving over to the vendor side. So Responses was a vendor of StubHub. They recruited me. I went over to Responses um, and did marketing strategy consulting. I worked with incredible brands there for a number of years. I did this internationally as well. So I worked in the US with Wells Fargo, Lego, Sanrio, Allstate, Harley Davidson, you name it. So many different, um, different brands across a lot of different verticals. And so um, it was very intentional in terms of thinking about accelerated growth and learning for myself. What, what better way to learn than to work on the service side and deal with a lot of different brands with a lot of different problems. Um, and I did this internationally that I moved to Sweden for a little bit and continued the consulting, working with um, Scandinavia and the UK clients as well as taking on US clients while I was there. Incredible experience. And I ended up getting recruited to Westfield. They were thinking about how they would um, change messaging and change the experience uh, for consumers, for the shopping experience. And Westfield is an incredibly large like behemoth of shopping centers, it's global. Uh, So when we think about the mall, we don't always think about it being a huge uh, brand that makes multi-billion dollars, but Westfield is one of those. And I worked in the innovation lab where we really were thinking about how to change the experience of shopping malls, knowing ahead of time that the shopping experience is changing. People are moving online. So why do we or how do we bring people into the shopping centers? So we can talk about that a little bit later, but that was like an incredible role. And that was going back in-house because I wanted to take all of my learnings, bring it in-house, and then eventually decided to go back into the agency world. Um, And agency world is a bit different from a more tech consulting experience and strategy. Incredible experience and one that expanded my view of thinking about that whole human centric component of like, I need to deliver at scale for a lot of different brands because my team is actually helping businesses reach their goals. So how do we do this in a way that makes sense for my employees? And I don't want to burn them out. I want to be able to deliver consistently. So it's thinking about that full experience all the time. And you want to talk about all the different layers. You're thinking about the client's consumer goals, you're thinking about the relationship of our team to their team. And that's kind of a B2B component. I'm also thinking about the internal operations experience as well. So a lot of different ways to think about just human centricity there. I love everything that you shared. In your last role, is it
0: right to recall, I think this that that's that agency group that you're working with is Omnicom?
1: Yes, that's the holding group. And I actually worked for uh, two organizations there. So one was definitely a CRM agency and then the other was management consulting, which I purposely sought out. And that was just an incredible experience because I wanted to get back into the technology bit of it and really understand. And I know like implementation of technology is a whole other beast that a lot of people overlook.
0: Well, I think I only brought that up because what I think is really beautiful about your story that you touched on a little bit when you named that Westfield is a multi-billion dollar um, company and then it's global. It's that when I have learned more and more about your expertise in your work, you're not thinking about how does my MarTech decisions or my rev strategy plans, how does it impact you know, just my department, you're thinking about how this impacts 1000s of employees lives and millions of consumer lives. Uh, And so when I hear the range of accounts that you got to support, I'm always blown away. But I think what I find really unique and interesting is how you're like you casually say I had to implement these strategies at scale. But you're really truly speaking about so much more than just marketing and advertising. You're also talking about how does that impl- How do those implementations impact employees' lives? So it really brings that human centricity theme full circle, I think. Um, it makes me think a little bit at Sightly, right? Like we talk a lot about brand mentality and what we think about when it comes to brand mentality is we see a lot of companies come to us thinking about brand mentality as almost synonymous with brand authenticity, but they think that brand authenticity is a marketing team assignment. That it's an advertising team assignment, right? It's something maybe our agencies help us develop. But what I like about what you're saying is that things like brand authenticity, brand values, even corporate social responsibility, those things are actually a business strategy, not just something we're outsourcing to our marketing agencies or departments or teams. It makes me wonder, who do you see actually executing Like what is currently working for businesses who treat things like brand authenticity and brand values as a business strategy and who's doing it well? And then
1: what are some mistakes that you see happening? Sure. Let me first just umbrella this. At least for myself, I think about all of those different things from a brand authenticity, values, corporate social responsibility under the umbrella of um, customer experience so from a customer experience standpoint or even if we want to talk about human centricity it's um, a collection of different experiences that someone has with a brand it's the whole culmination of all of those experiences including your sales your support team your um, in-store team and what they see in the news in terms of what you say you stand for. I think these days, um, consumers look at brands as an extension of how they see themselves. So uh, you start to see this in cancel culture, you start to see this in terms of folks rallying and saying, hey, support this company because they stand for X, Y, and Z, because they treat their employees well, Etc. I'll use um, an example, and, and, and one is I worked with an automotive company thinking about innovation. This company um, has automobiles that are more affordable than your kind of luxury, um, your luxury brands, and. When you think about that, you think about accessibility. This is an accessible product for me. I can buy this. It's very reliable. Well, they started to think about what does that actually mean from a full experience standpoint? And they started to think about accessibility in terms of the shopping experience for people who might have um, kind of hearing challenges or hearing disabilities. So how do you actually change that experience fully? So, it's taking that brand promise and thinking about it from a very holistic point of view. And when you think about that, there's a whole service design component associated with it. So, not only are you thinking about it from the very start of the whole digital experience and what does that look like, to then, you know, understanding the research and key pieces of information that. Um, that particular audience is going to be looking at, but then how do you help them take that information and go to a location and continue the shopping experience there? How do those salespeople know that you're dealing with a very different client, with their very different needs? So that whole experience is covering so many things. It's making sure that they're fulfilling on their brand promise that they've said, but in a lot of different ways, and you are enabling your employees to be able to be part of that full human experience or customer experience.
0: I love that example. Oh, sorry, were you not done? Keep going.
1: No, 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 no. I, I love I, that I example.
0: Am. I wanted I wanted to reflect a couple of things that I learned. I took a bunch of notes. It's that you're sort of rebranding customer experience as human centricity, which I love and I feel like could be you know one of the main takeaways from our conversation. I love how you define that as different experiences that people have with the brand at all touch points but you're not just thinking about people as end consumer you're also thinking about people as internal employees i mentioned a little while ago the uh work that we do here at sightly and our platform it's called brand mentality you know it we love it um but what we really think about is that emotional dna that you're talking about uh uh, for this automotive brand as being accessible at all touch points of the consumer journey and that means also training employees on accessibility because that is actually the brand promise so that goes into then their service design and why that's music to my ears is because that's what i feel like we preach at siley about the promise of brand mentality is that you can have what we find is that businesses come up with these brand promises, oftentimes through the lens of marketing and marketing's always connected to revenue at some point. But where that gets dropped off is like they don't really have a way to take their emotional DNA, codify those brand values and integrate that into every decision that they make as a business, marketing and operations combined. And then how does that then support revenue frameworks? And it sounds like that's a practice we've seen at slightly be really effective for businesses. It's what we're out in the market teaching other clients to do. But it sounds like you've hands-on done that with this large automotive brand. And I guess I'm kind of curious, is there anyone else that you've seen that be the case? Is that something that you're seeing consistently across the board where that brand promise, the ability to execute it at all stages of, yes, consumer journey, but also business process? Like... Are you seeing that be effective?
1: From a process standpoint, I mean, I I could probably bring a couple of different ideas to mind here. One is a brand that I haven't worked with, but I, I heavily admire, and that's Patagonia. Patagonia, I think so many people have talked about Patagonia in that um, we know that brand is about getting outdoors, uh, appreciating nature, etc. And what was such a big splash in the media was one year they decided they are not going to open on Black Friday when so many retailers are making their kind of large marketing dollars during that period of time, and they decided they're going to close all of their stores because they wanted their employees to be able to get outdoors. And that is what that brand is about. It allowed their own employees to go out and live that promise. And on top of that, they decided any revenue that was made in that weekend digitally would be donated to nonprofits. I mean, this is one where you start to think like, oh no, you're gonna be losing money from this. But so many people were so behind this idea that they spent more money. And so it is just completely um, good business. You just do the right thing. <laughs> um, and there's a Forbes article that quoted a survey that was done by Talis International that talks about how um, there's a relationship of loyalty to brands that share similar brand values. And this survey said nearly 90% of survey respondents said that they would stay loyal to a brand if it shares similar values to their own. And that was absolutely illustrated in the Patagonia experience. Um, So you can see that. But I would probably say, and I hate to keep touting the Westfield story, but Westfield wanted to have a different experience for people, so Westfield shopping purposely thought about branding all of their shopping centers so there is a westfield shopping center i think there's 40 in the united states there's two large shopping centers in the uk and roughly 40 in australia as well and they are all known as westfield so you know a westfield shopping mall from a different mall and they fully changed that experience as a destination experience it's not just shopping and actually, I shouldn't call it a mall because it was purposely called shopping centers. It is a center where people spend their time and they're making human connection at that point. Yes, you might be browsing the stores, but they thought about how to change that experience for each individual. There were efforts to understand kind of foot traffic patterns. So then you can understand which shopping um, or which brands you should curate in different locations because we wanted to make it easier for folks to get to all the stores that they would typically go to so there there would be a luxury wing there would be fast fashion there would be a whole um, food court or restaurant experience and you can have your more elevated experience versus your less elevated experience and then on top of it there was wayfinding within the shopping center itself and they were a patented technology that allowed that blue dot to actually work within a large shopping multi-level experience because it wasn't available before. And Westfield worked with Google on this. So it's a pretty incredible um, effort that they said, this is important. We are going to invest dollars here and change the way that people think about the shopping experience. And they became family destinations. That's amazing. Can you talk a
0: little bit about how they actually discovered that information um, about their consumers? Did they run surveys? Like, how? I think one thing we think about a lot at Sightly, as you know, is that clients a lot of times will have these really great customer experience ideas, but then how do they pair some of those new products or features or things actually into the moments of need as consumers are having them in real time? When you just told that example for Westfield, it sounds that they were able to execute on that. And that from a business process standpoint is one of the biggest challenges. It's kind of why we created brand mentality for Sightly. But it's like one of the biggest challenges we see is that businesses struggle to keep up with the changing needs of consumers in real time. So how do how did they I guess how do you think about that for Westfield so that you could come up with these more dynamic experiences that were really meeting customers where they were in that moment of need?
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to say foot traffic is probably a big indicator. So we had like cameras in terms of foot traffic and tracking all of that information. We didn't have a site lay at the time. So being able to see not just behavior, but more of those life moments and those key cultural moments that you can kind of integrate into how brands are connecting with their audiences. So it was a little bit slower then. So there was a lot of of research that was done. Um, We leverage research firms. We've done our own kind of research as well. Where we interviewed a lot of people, we prototyped them some things. We tested it to see how people responded to those interactions as well. At one point, I think we had launched a food app for folks who were in the area for businesses who we knew they needed to go and order food and be able to pick it up very quickly. We changed the whole service experience for pickup. Um, And that didn't necessarily um continue on mostly because there were other businesses that aggregated all of the sh- all of the restaurants uh, in the area like DoorDash and, and Uber Eats that just made it easier from that standpoint but we tested that out cuz we wanted to make sure that it was a different experience for people so there was a lot of testing and learning and a very big willingness to take some risks and try that out so we had all of that information kind of not ready at our fingertips because we had to do the kind of longer process of doing that research, building something, and then testing it. Um, If I think about how we worked with some brands, I thought that was very interesting because if you think about a shopping center, you have the relationship in terms of the actual physical location with um, consumers who might come to the shopping center but you're also marketing indirectly in some way brands to these audiences. So how do you let people know that there is a Sephora event that's happening? (laughs) Like who should get that information? And um, how quickly can we pull sales information, inventory information into the platform that Westfield was building out to consumers who are coming to the store. And we did look at inventory. We did have all of these integrations and connections to work with the brands and allow the marketers who were managing the shopping center to very quickly deploy promotions and things that they wanted to feature. So we were thinking about the whole ecosystem.
0: I love the idea of personalized curated um, menu and restaurant. That's so smart. Um, I also really love what you've shared uh, about getting brands on board to personalize those customer experiences without necessarily feeling salesy because you're meeting again, the customer came to shop. So how are you giving them this elevated retail experience? I'm actually seeing a lot of that now as like clients. It's interesting that you're saying that you've done this. It feels like many ages ago, but brands are actually still just figuring that out right now. Uh, and I know we'll we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But before we moved off the topic of, like, who's doing it well, I was wondering, do you have any examples of brands that are essentially taking the same concept but not executing it really well? So folks who aren't following through on their brand promise, who haven't decided that brand authenticity is good business or human centricity
1: is good business, who is? what are some of the mistakes that you're seeing? Yeah, I... I have two, one that is just a no-brainer. And we'll just say Kanye West is a brand, right? He's totally a brand. There's all sorts of people that follow him. But um, we saw can- cancel culture as a thing. And and if you, if you are not living your kind of brand authentically, if you are not taking a stand on some things, people will call you out. Unfortunately, Kanye decided to be very vocal (laughs) Uh, in terms of his thoughts and ideas and very quickly partners like dumped those partnerships with him so i think there was an instance where he wore a white lives matter t-shirt at a paris fashion event i had the same the, the same response as well and of course there's his support of donald trump if you think about all of the folks that um have been fans There is a huge disconnect that's happening there. And I think you saw, not I think, we know all sorts of different partners dropped him, including Adidas, B and Salaga, like all these different brands decided to drop him. There is another brand, and I feel very conflicted about this, and this is Budweiser. Budweiser um, had partnered with a, um, a, a trans influencer to kind of promote Budweiser. There was a whole backlash associated with it. And then they ended up having to pull all of the kind of efforts associated with that and that partnership. And I recently went to a diversity summit, which Michelle, you were at as well. And we were talking about this, we were talking about Budweiser and folks um, and and Budweiser actually making an effort and saying, we want to take a stand on um, kind of gender, uh, a gender point of view and being supportive of the the LGBTQ community. And they did, they did in a big, big way, but they had to pull back and, and hit their bottom line for sure and there was backlash on them pulling back and for me I ended up saying like yeah well they walked it back really quickly because they were concerned about their profits but the person that I was talking to was uh, responding to me and he said I am not gonna fault them for trying and I think it's amazing that they tried and they have my marketing dollars or they have my like consumer dollars I'll go buy, I'll go buy some Bud Light. So I thought that was very interesting as well, where it's just like, we can give some brands some grace for trying as well. And, you know, there might be back and forth. So I feel very conflicted about that because my whole like, um, being very stalwart in your, in your kind of um, point of view, you should take a stand and stick with it. But I also understand there's like some real dollars behind that. So how do you do that? And I and and I don't want to be part of that whole cancel culture that does exist. But that was an interesting one that made me think. That's actually one of the moments that brand mentality picked
0: up um, in our platform, obviously. And it was something that we, we reported on because our data does pick up moments, that, of course, that are like that. And I think the case study we were really writing about was. That is a cautionary tale of not having clear and codified brand values across your organization that also then connects into your marketing agency. So a quick look under the hood if you work in the industry, right? It's like that entire execution wasn't necessarily handled by the CMO of Budweiser or even the VP of marketing from Bud Light, who unfortunately was then subsequently let go after this whole crisis right so really i think what we're seeing is like from a business operations and martech operations standpoint there wasn't there was a gap in codifying brand values in a way that was also then connecting with your core consumer audience that may or may Mm -hmm. not stand with you and i think that that is one of the pieces of brand mentality where we're not as sightly trying to say that we want to put our values into the world and what we think is right into the world we actually just want to empower brands to stand up with their values to be authentic and then see that all the way through so i love what you're the point that you're making of well at least a brand tried to stand up for something but maybe the execution wasn't great i think from a sightly pov it's that It's a call to action for brands to codify those brand values so that when they stand up for the thing, that they can actually do so in an effective way, meeting their audience where they're at, and then really making key decisions around brand positioning. Because one question one of my colleagues had asked at the time was, well, this execution, this campaign happened in May. If it happened in June, would that have been different? Because that's Pride Month. Would we have shown up differently as a consumer audience and so i think right so i think it's, it's a really interesting take on the demand for or the need for brands to have a way to synthesize those brand values across internal marketing organization external agencies that are executing influencer programs such as this one uh and and the need for us to like help brands and companies like really figure that out so that they can stand with their brand values and then that there goes your 90% stat from earlier, right? 90% of consumers wanna buy from brands that feel like they share the same values.
1: Yeah, Uh, I love that you brought up the tool itself uh, as well, because if I'm thinking about from an efficiency standpoint and having dealt with multiple different departments, um, that kind of department uh, handoff, collaboration, et cetera, is key to having a consistent consumer experience as well. So having a platform in which you can have a discussion um, with all of the other departments that might be connected with it is definitely key. But I think the, not but, and, and I think the, the, the magic is how quickly Sately does this because it's continuing to listen. You're putting in all of the you kind know, of relevant relevant brand components that is associated with your brand And it's listening for opportunities and moments that come up, then you can have a very quick conversation um, with all parties that should be behind this that might be involved um, and have a discussion about that. And that's something that honestly was done so manually before where you're just looking at what's the cultural zeitgeist of what's going on and you're looking at trends and keywords and then somebody is making that decision and saying, hey, this is what our brand is about. I think there's an opportunity here. How long does that take? And how many of these moments can you actually action on? So I find that um, in my kind of efficiency mindset uh, to be something that's very compelling.
0: Well, and thank you for saying that because I think I learned from your um, stories about like your storytelling around career experiences you've had is that manual piece. That's what makes me always so impressed with the stories you share is because like you've done this like really heavy lift manually and not only do I say manually about pairing research to action but you pair research to action to organizational change organizational change is like turning a cruise ship how you do that manually (laughs) is like incredible honestly
1: yeah and you have to be able to find the benefit for everybody involved right Change is hard. Change takes effort and change takes time. But on the other side of it, is it going to be a better experience for everybody? Is it going to make every department's life a little bit easier, better? Are they going to feel safe in that change? I mean, where we are in the midst of gigantic change with AI right now. So how do you think about this from an operations standpoint, from an employee trust standpoint? And of course, there's all sorts of upsides from a consumer experience standpoint as well. And then bottom line, right? So then mm-hmm. you have those massive cost
0: savings that you can achieve, or maybe an you know eight-figure revenue uptick. So I think there's, there's that connective thread again about human centricity being good business. Mm-hmm. So I guess that leads me to this next question around we've talked a lot about the stories and the experiences in your career. And I. it makes me curious. It feels like we're repeating some themes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I think from a listener standpoint, they're like, oh, OK, great. I have a lot of case studies for, for the talking points here. But I guess it makes me wonder, how has your advice or leadership with clients and businesses evolved over the last two decades. A lot has happened AI, right? There's a lot of transformation that has happened in the last two decades. But how has that impacted how you lead clients to navigate the challenges of today?
1: Yeah, I think solving it has changed over time because technology has evolved. And honestly, I think technology and consumer um savviness around data and experience is also impacting how businesses respond. So those two are two key drivers in terms of how businesses are thinking about customer experience right now. The technology allows us to scale. Um, And two decades ago, we were thinking about segmentation and automation but we also knew that that segmentation and automation still had a huge level of manual (laughs) process and production associated with it. It's like, great. We talk about right time, right message, right channel. And when we say that, that implies a whole infrastructure underneath that. So that implies a central customer database. Um, And it implies you're collecting all of this information, processing that, and then understanding a consumer's preferences, um, thinking about ways in which they kind of discover next things. Well, guess what? Most of the time at that point in time, it was all someone saying, okay, if somebody likes this, then they're probably going to like this other thing as well as you've got all that data and you're making all of the production and assets after you've done that understanding it's not done real time at that point in time so it's just like really segmentation and maybe hyper segmentation and then the production for that becomes a cost decision like how much time are we going to spend creating different assets for every possible permutation of messaging and then even then I think a lot of people were doing that in a very clumsy way. So you would see like a newsletter with a bunch of modules and communications that had a bunch of products that just felt so random to you. Or it's just like, here are your picks based on blah, 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 blah. And you know, people were savvy to that. It's like, okay, you, you've you seen me like a couple of things but it still wasn't a great experience. You People started craving that more human experience associated where you're having a conversation and somebody's bringing in their point of view into it as well from a discovery standpoint. So that also has changed now where you're dealing with more AI decisioning. I think the production of that is going to be really interesting to see with AI creation of content. So that's going to to change in terms of that more kind of immediate messaging. But I think where we also need to pay attention to is that actual real human component. How are we enabling our in-store folks, our sales folks, our field people, our sales team to get real-time, up-to-date information so they can have these conversations with consumers um, and with their kind of prospects and clients. And that is going to be key. I think I,
0: I wrote down so many notes about everything that you just shared. One of the big takeaways that I really heard is that your advice to clients is changing with the times because the technology has changed, but what's not changed, what's still coming back is as technology advances, the need for that human expertise overlay, that's not yeah. going anywhere.
1: Yeah, that is definitely not going anywhere. Um, And so like the technology changes, but consumers are just continuing to demand more. Like they're demanding so much more and you have to pay attention to that. Um, That human aspect of it is still quite, quite important, even with AI, because we've seen AI fumble <laughs> and you keep... How many times have you inserted prompts into ChatGPT and not gotten what you wanted back? And then you kind of give up and write your own like more human communication (laughs) that's needed. So I don't think that's going away. I think the fear that folks have in terms of AI taking over from a marketing aspect is different. I think it's really about understanding how you can leverage these tools. And that has been the constant. It's like, okay. How much of this um, can I leverage from technology? And I still need to bring my point of view, my expertise, my very humanness and ability to um, discern nuance and, and read the room, per yep. se, becomes important.
0: Yeah. And I love that you're saying this. I feel like it's exactly the same evidence that we've seen with our clients on brand mentality. That's exactly what they tell us. They tell us the same thing that you just said. The things that they love about our work is the fact that they do get to insert their POV through their profile. The things that they like about our AI is it looks at those nuances and context in real time moments. And I think that your your experience and your advice is exactly in line with like what we see out in the world and the industry, uh, what the industry needs now. So to kind of wrap us up, because we talked about a lot, I love how we kind of continued to come back to this human centricity theme. You're clearly a thought leader in this space. You shared deep experience with us across the board. I wonder if we can, you know, summarize it all together. So what would Van Tran's playbook for success be so that if I walk away from this podcast, I can actually implement some of the best practices that we talked about today?
1: Sure, I would think about it. I mean, it's, it's three things. But most importantly it's two things one is what's the impact to the consumer experience or customer experience experience makes up i don't know a huge percentage of how people perceive a brand and we know experience is a collection of different things across different channels and people etc the other thing is impact to user experience people who are using technology if we're thinking about martech is how usable is this? What's the operational, um, considerations that you need to list out and understand in order for your team to maximize all of the future's functionality and deliver on that vision that you have for consumer experience. So that's going to be key. And I think, and that bullet alone, that means you actually need to bring them into that process when you're decisioning on that technology, because how many times have senior leaders decided that they know what's needed, but they haven't been in product in 10, 15 years that they actually are so far removed from the pain points they don't understand what they're trying to solve for. Um, So I think that's going to be a key component. And I think about this as in terms of inclusive decisioning, if we think about human centricity in general. And then last, because I'm also like a, just a data nerd as well. Is that oftentimes technology is moving so quickly? You're like one product that covers so many different aspects of the um, features and functional functionality that you need changes. So you want to be able to take something out and replace it with something else fairly easily. So I'm always thinking about: Does it enable us to gather? this information and get the data. So I think about data and extensibility, its ability to integrate with other products is going to be key and its ability to collect data granularly so that you can actually see the performance information and be able to get the learnings that you need to measure customer impact, to measure usability. So all of that becomes really important.
0: Okay, amazing, amazing. So I feel like the VanTrend Playbook for Success is thinking about that impact a customer experience, user experience and usability and operations, and then essentially ability to look at granular data and then to scale it. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. Thank you so much for that. Um, Okay, so I guess I would say the last piece uh, that I wanna really capture, so if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, all right, I can do that. I will use these tips in, in my playbook. Then maybe my next question, just to like help folks as they go down this path is to, can you give us a, a couple of watchouts? Like what are the biggest challenges or maybe opportunities that you see for companies who are doing some of these things and tackling their MarTech stack in a way that has those three features, customer experience, user experience, data, and extensibility?
1: Sure. I think implement- implementation is key. A lot of times you've gone through what feels like a marathon of evaluating a platform or a technology or even coming up with a strategy, but when it comes time to put rubber to the road and you're doing implementation, for whatever reason, so many businesses skimp on that phase. And uh, part of it is like, oh, I have to have two parallel systems at the same time. They try to do this as quickly as possible. They talk about an MVP. That's like a default version. and. So many times the implementation goes wrong. (laughs) And then one year into it, two years into it, they're pissed that they spent all this money purchasing a robust enterprise platform that they implemented poorly and that's not going to work for their processes, their teams, their business, because they really didn't spend the time thinking about how to implement this the right way. So that is definitely a watch out. And I will say this just because I've seen this happen so many times from a migration standpoint, your professional services that's associated with that particular um, brand's product isn't always the end all. Like you may need to bring in a consultant that really understands your business and pushes for something that's more thoughtful versus something that's as quickly done as possible because they've done this 15,000 times, but they start to find efficiencies and you start to strip out like the really important bits of your business that needs to stay um, incorporated into that implementation plan. So I think that is a watch out. The other watch out is when folks are evaluating the platform and they're not thinking about total cost of ownership. So it's implemented, but they don't have a product or platform specialist that can continue to maintain and optimize features and changes in terms of how that product is being used or that platform is being used. So then you're stuck using professional services for a long time and those professional services become really expensive as well. And again, you're dealing with professional services team that may or may not be retained and their relationship with your business and understanding your business needs might be compromised
0: all right so that brings us to the end of our talk today which means that i get to ask my favorite lightning round questions so these are just really quick ones that i think help us wrap it all together especially as i think about you know why is sightly creating brand mentality and kind of like putting this work into the world so our lightning round questions to kind of bring it all together Um, are the first one is name your favorite mission-driven business and why?
1: Uh, Headspace. And it's for multiple reasons. I am a big fan of meditation. I definitely believe in it, but it's also a technology company and I find that fascinating. So it has this incredible mission to make lifelong mental health accessible to everybody. But we all know like our effort to care for ourselves gets interrupted and we have all sorts of excuses not to take care of ourselves. And I feel like they have spent so much time trying to understand what these hurdles are and give it to you piecemeal and help you build these um, routines and um, habits into your everyday life. I just think they do an incredible job. I remember using them back in, I'm going to date myself, well over a decade ago when it was like a tiny little just somebody recording (laughs) their kind of meditation. So now it being an app and something that's like an enterprise level tool. So incredible, mission-oriented, solving from a technology standpoint. I love it. Yeah. I just actually had the chance to meet with their chief
0: of staff of care services. Uh, Her name is Nicole. She's up, Absolutely incredible. And when you hear her speak about democratizing access to mental health support, it's it's really powerful what they're doing. All right. Second and last question. What would you, Van Tran, leverage your courage for?
1: Making us more human. Uh, So building our muscle for connection, being able to see that we're interconnected, uh, building our muscle for empathy and compassion. Oh, thank you for that. All
0: right. Well, before we close out today, is there anything else in terms of like, where can people find
1: your work? How can they connect with you after listening to this episode? Sure. Uh, In terms of how to connect with me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. So I think if you look up Van Tran or I think it's like LinkedIn in Tran Van is where you can find me. (laughs) And uh, I also am... Mm. I add up two different organizations. So I'm a co-founder at API Rising. So I think about human connection from a leadership perspective. And then I also have consulting as well for createreples.co.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your experience with us today on the Breaking Through the Mayhem podcast. I look forward to hopefully
1: featuring you again soon. Thank you so much. It was great being on this uh, podcast. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Dan. See you next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Hannah, one of the producers for Sightly's Breaking Through the Mayhem podcast. We want to thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about the guests we had on today, we included additional information about them in the show notes. Finally, if you'd like to be on the podcast, or if you know someone that would make a great fit, you could fill out the form at sightly.com forward slash podcast. We hope you have a great day.